Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Hello and welcome to the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and joining me from the Evening Standard is Steve Cording and rugby correspondent Nick Purawal. Gentlemen, how are you? Very good, thank you. How are you, Lawrence? Very well indeed. Just fresh back from Dublin. It was a uh, great occasion. I mean, when you go there with an expectation that you're going to lose the match, I think it changes your perspective ever so slightly. But uh, I think Ireland thoroughly deserved their victory against England. They had to work hard for it. So congratulations to Ireland for clinching uh, their fourth Grand Slam on Saturday. I mean, I obviously experienced the celebrations firsthand as if I'd won the Grand Slam, actually. But uh, it's certainly a city that knows how to party. And the players were staying at the Shelbourne. They were in fine form. Obviously, uh, caught up with a few of the Irish lads. Didn't see the England players, but just thought it was an amazing occasion. Number one side in the world. Probably played the best rugby in the last uh, 24 months that we've seen from any Ireland side. And they deserve it. So uh, look forward to seeing how they build towards the World Cup. So, chaps, uh, I guess you watched the game. But, Steve... um, any more trips to the Legion for you? Uh, no, sadly not. Unfortunately, uh, my wife has been ill this weekend, so I'll be doing more plate spinning. Uh, at least she said she was ill. Uh, I had to sort of knock on the door and peer around to make sure she was still in there and not watching box sets. But uh, my main objective this week is to make sure that whatever she's got, I don't get, because um, we're all obviously going out to lunch on Thursday for the annual Rugby Works Six Nations lunch, and I'm thoroughly looking forward to that at Boysdale's which I had to miss last year, of course, because I had COVID and I will not be missing this one. Excellent. And Nick, other than watching rugby and interviewing various players from uh, from all the sides, have you been up to much at all? Well, yeah, we were in Dublin for basically four days. So it's quite a long time because England did their team announcement on Thursday evening. So, you know, had to have the arm twisted for a couple of Guinnesses. So I was uh, like you're saying about Dublin, such a great place, isn't it? And uh you know, being there on St. Patrick's Day, kind of seeing all the kind of colour that flies around the parade, it's fascinating. And uh, yeah, it's just got a great feel to it. It was nice to sort of relax a bit. It was good fun. Well, I'm delighted to say that our guest this week is uh, England's and former Wasp, but now, of course, Toulouse flanker Jack Willis. Jack, firstly, congratulations on everything. How are you, my friend? You must be a bit sore. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, all, all good. Yeah, body's a little bit sore, um, but no, no, feeling good. Thank you very much. I got back to France last night. So um, yeah, just settling back in. Listen, the, um, you've had a huge six, seven, eight weeks in camp. You know, the France game didn't go as you, the squad, or anyone wanted, really. There was probably some fairly honest words exchanged by the players, as we've all had, by the way, because all these former players forget that they lost a lot of games of rugby as well after the defeat by France. And I guess that the mindset going into the Ireland game seemed to be very, very positive. I mean, did you think, you know, that was the case going into that Ireland game that everyone genuinely wanted to sort of put right a few wrongs? 
Yeah, I, I spot on really. I, I think it's definitely the most I've ever hurt after a game. I think I felt personally felt a bit embarrassed with that that result. I think I didn't put in a personal performance that I was particularly proud of. Um, and I think a lot of lads would have said the same. As a, as a team, we worked so hard that week and had had such clarity on the plan of how we were going to go about it. And I think we just, we didn't really stick to that. From minute one, we didn't get a couple of exits right. And I think from then on, we were just a little bit, we sort of felt a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights, really. Um, and that was a big learning for us. We all hurt in that change room afterwards. We probably still hadn't shaken off that hurt even 20 minutes before the kickoff for the Ireland match. Personally, I was very revved up to go and show how much it means to me to play for England. And I know every single single one of those players in that room and, and in that 23 and in the squad that have been training wanted to put that right. Um, it really wasn't a performance we were proud of. And, and, and I, I go and play at best in the world is a great opportunity to show what sort of fight we have got in us. Yeah, and look, I think it certainly you certainly did that. And I think everyone in England, you know, whilst they didn't necessarily expect the, the result to go the way you wanted it to, you know, the performance and the attitude was, was spot on. I mean, it, I guess it it sort of shows the squad and, and you as well that if you start games big, you know, I mean, Ireland were under all sorts of pressure. And I don't think, you know, in the opening 20, 30 minutes, they necessarily played that well. And I think any side is beatable when uh, when you put them under pressure. I think there'd be a good learning curve for everyone involved, really, just to show, well, one, what it takes to be at the very top, which Ireland were in the end, but, but also doesn't matter who you play or where you play them in the world if you get your head right and the emotional levels right you can beat anyone yeah definitely definitely got to ask you about that the one key decision with the red card for freddie stewart i mean as a player do you hope that referees can start to apply a little bit more common sense around decisions on head injuries because obviously it's one that changed the way that the game was going right before half time obviously we've got to be very very careful in terms of what we're doing with head injuries but it is how did the players feel about that? I think the hard thing sometimes is when you're just looking directly at the laws that are in front of you and, and if you haven't necessarily played that much rugby or haven't played rugby day in, day out, and it's your instinct, you could see what Fred was doing was instinctive to protect himself and the player he was running into. It wasn't, I'm trying to drop a shoulder to cause any damage. He was trying to, if he'd opened himself up like that, the player probably would hit his hip, which would have been a lot worse than hitting his shoulder. I think the tough thing in that scenario is, well, we know we all know how outstanding Fred Freddie is as a player. He's got a big influence on the team and and on a game like that. And then to see him being red carded just before half time was disappointing. But you you can't sort of sit there and feel sorry for yourselves. We had a couple of minutes before half time to hold them out and then discuss how we were going to go about it. I think we we saw it as a challenge to continue to put Ireland under pressure and and go after it, but. It is difficult when you lose a key member of the back three, especially they can start to plug the corners and kick a little bit more. So we were quite disappointed. I think everyone would say that say the same thing that's an England fan that they didn't necessarily agree with the decision, but you've got to react to it in a positive way and, and try and continue to put your best foot forward. I think the difficulty is that, as I know in commentary myself, is that you've got a million referees now and that everyone gives their verdict. And, and if you're Irish, then you thought it was a straight red. If you're English, you thought it was a very harsh red, probably a yellow. And if you're a neutral, you probably just wanted to see 15 v 15. Stuart, they said they timed it. He only had 0.6 seconds to make a decision, didn't he? Well, I know. And listen, and, and I've got the world rugby kind of framework in front of me. so And I do as, in commentary as well. But I think the way that Jacko Piper sort of worded it, he said it was direct contact, high speed, and say reckless, but it was a high level of danger. But I think what they don't take into account, and this is within 
World Rugby's mandate is that if a player has no time to readjust, you know, the fact that he turned his back and he hit him in the head, if he hadn't have turned his back, I think he'd have ended up poleaxed uh, Freddie Stewart. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I personally, I think the referee got it wrong. It'd be interesting to see what happens with the sighting now. It might even be rescinded. I also think he got your yellow card wrong as well, Jack, because managed to allow his body position meant that when you lifted up the player, I can't remember who it was, but he actually was, was forced to do that by the fact that Manny was there. So, that could have easily been a penalty only. Uh, but as you said, you've got to deal with these things. For me personally, and for you and your family, and et cetera, everything you've been through, I think it's been brilliant to see you back in an English shirt after all the issues you had with getting yourself fit and then wasps, et cetera. I mean, we know about your journey through that injury and, and through wasps, but what do you think you've learned about yourself through the Six Nations? Because it's been a phenomenal period of time for you, actually in a different country now. You've got a newborn son. Must be quite a lot of fun now, right? Yeah, I think coming off the back of the wasp stuff straight into the deep end with Toulouse has been incredible. I've I've absolutely loved my time here. They've been so welcoming. Don't get me wrong, it's come with its challenges. The language barrier being being one of them that I'm I'm battling away at and uh, taking lessons. And so so's Megan, my my partner. But I, I think. It's a different style of rugby. I'm playing day in, day out with world-class players, which is brilliant. You've got, well, I think it was 10 of our players at Toulouse were playing in the French side when we played them the, the other day. And it just shows the quality that we've got. And I think then coming into camp, it, it's the most minutes I've ever had in England shirt. Obviously, new coaching set up and I'm incredibly grateful that, that they 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 backed me through, through those games. Um, I think you learn a lot. I felt a big difference from just coming off the bench for a few, well, for, the three or four minutes or being able to really try and get into a game and you realise the speed of, of which the test match are played at, the intensity they're played at, the mental focus that you need throughout every single second of that game because teams can capitalise on it. I think a big, big learning curve for me was definitely the French game. I think it, it shows that if everyone a couple of percent off what, what the damage could be at, at, at that level and I, I'm just incredibly grateful. I've been given the opportunity over the last six to eight weeks and learned a hell of a lot about sort of where I want to head. And, and I know for certain that I want to be able to keep putting that shirt on because I've absolutely loved it. I think the French game shows that if, um, you know, you need to take your front, front five out for dinner a couple of nights a week because if they don't play well, it doesn't matter what's going on because I thought, you know, you, you were very much in defence mode. Looking at Toulouse, I mean, obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a team packed full of superstars, mainly French-based, but then they've always brought in, you know, overseas foreign superstars as well, but they've not had that many English players. I think Rob Andrew from Wasp went there. I can't remember too many more that have actually played. There tends to be a bit of a stereotype around English people with French guys. I mean, have you seen it the other way? Do you think they they look at you and know that they've got a good one? <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess I'm not the one to comment on that. I'd have to ask a couple of them. But I think the big thing that I've found, when it comes to language, we're quite arrogant that everyone's going to speak English. And I think that's probably been our biggest hurdle over the over the years, is if you just rock up and you're just trying to talk English to people, they, they see that as... Uh, a lack of effort so I really wanted to make sure I, I put the effort in early on it is it is incredibly difficult and I've definitely made myself look an idiot saying saying different things at points but I think if you attempt it and make the effort then all of a sudden they start to speak English to you and I feel like it breaks down that barrier I definitely tried that at the beginning and it does take time to to get there with it and especially in day-to-day -day life as well trying to talk to people at the supermarket if you, you don't know where something is little things like that it sounds really trivial but it but it actually people do warm to you a little bit more if you're trying to trying your best and using very very poor French accent on that note Jack are you committed to your future there or 
are you coming back to England? What can you tell us about about that situation? Or if you, I mean, have you made up your mind yet, or are you, are you still thinking about it? Well, look, yeah, there's always lots to consider. I have made up my mind. Oh, I need to get the last things finalised over the next couple of weeks. Um, I make sure that sort of all my family are on board because it's not just me and Megan that it affects. Wherever we do end up, I think you want to make sure that you've you've considered every factor possible. So, yeah, there's still still a bit of thinking to do, but um, yeah, I think we're we're nearly there. Does eligibility for England come into your thinking? Because obviously at the, at, the, at the current moment, you can play in the World Cup, but you couldn't play in the next Six Nations. Are you hoping there's going to be a change there? Yeah, I, I think the, the the reason I'd say that is it's it's not just for myself. I think you look at the salary cap and the where it's heading, um, where it has been heading and, and how tight it is and how many players have been squeezed out of jobs. You then look at Wasps and Worcester going bust because... They didn't have sort of financially stable models. I think for me is and a factor of wherever I do end up and move in the future is is the financial stability of that club because I can't tell you how difficult it was going through what we went through. I think we were training about three hours before we first got told we were go, going into administration and then we had a couple of days off, come back in the following Monday and some strangers telling you that you, you've lost your job and you won't be playing another game together and working together for another minute with some of your best mates that you've you've grown up with um playing alongside my brother that really hurts and that leaves a scar so I think financial stability for a club that you move to is important and I think for people that are making decisions on on their careers why in uh in this job should you be forced to, to earn less money because that's just what the cap is or what the, what it's sort of limited to. I, I think it's something that needs to be explored because we do this because we love it, but we also do it to, to provide for our families. So it, there's a lot of things to, to factor in. And, and I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it'd be naive of the RFU to think that players could take a reduction in their salaries to play for England, which is no guarantee. You know, you're only guaranteed to play for England for one game, you know, and then after that, injury or selection can take that away from you so there's almost a restraint of trade issue with the RFU at the moment if you're, you're actually stopping people from doing their job by coming up with the rules. Jack you must be encouraged that Steve Borthwick did come out and say that he's hopeful he's obviously speaking to the RFU board about, about looking at what can be done as a minimum he's sympathetic to the situations of players like yourself isn't he? Yeah he, he's, he's been fantastic throughout the Six Nations for me on on many levels but the support and, and work with, with Toulouse, Toulouse have been brilliant as well and sort of showed how smooth that process can be. They've been not lots of conversations back and forth about what would be best for me, what would be best for me being involved for England, how can we help with Toulouse if they needed me for the weekend. It's it's been great to see how how that relationship's worked. Um and and, I, and I'm grateful for the guys at Toulouse and, and Steve and Richard Hill for how hard they've worked to make that smooth for me. And I think him coming out and supporting that just shows that there, there is lots of people behind the scenes that are working to, to find the right solution for English rugby moving forwards. I think there's lots of avenues to explore, lots of different routes that can be taken. But the positive thing for me is that it seems to be that hopefully that's on the table and something that's at least being discussed. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that ends up. And Jack, you're I mean, obviously with Steve Borthwick, you know, you working with him for the first time, there would have been a, a lot of learning for all for all the players, really. Um, as it feels, even though the results obviously haven't necessarily gone the way that you guys would want, it feels like there's a real 
change of direction with this England team around the communication and the clarity that's given to players on and off the field of what's expected of them. And I guess the next question for me is looking ahead to the World Cup. You're going to have time together, but then every team is. Do you think there's a real sense that you can approach that tournament maybe under the radar with little expectation? I think you're right. I think we want to sort of quietly go about our business, really. The France game was a big wake-up call and we, we got a lot of things wrong. But throughout this Six Nations, I think there's been clear areas that we've improved in and, and the belief that we have within the group that we're heading in the right direction. And I think believing in, in where we're heading and why we're doing things is, is crucial. I think having the right game plan is key, but if you believe in it, and everyone that's on that field believes in it. That's the thing that's that's really powerful. And moving forward to the World Cup, I think there's always change to a squad, people coming in and out, and and hopefully a lot of that group's involved in, and hopefully including myself. I'd love to be part of it. I, I've absolutely loved the last eight weeks and the enjoyment of it is a big factor as well. I think going into a long campaign like the World Cup, you need that day in, day out to be able to to really say that you're enjoying what you're doing. And I could definitely say that coming off the back of the Six Nations that I really enjoyed working with these guys. I guess most important of all is by the time of the World Cup, are you going to be able to go into a bar and order all the boys a beer in French or are you going to end up? Buying a round of coffees. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hopefully, um, hopefully, I've practiced enough French to be able to be yeah, giving it a go for the boys. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. You've got your brother, obviously, Tom, over there in France with you at the moment. He's been going great guns, hasn't he? I mean, appreciate, you know, obviously he's, he's in Bordeaux, but have you managed to catch up much? And how excited are you to see how he'll go next season at Saracens? Yeah, it's, it's been strange. Me and Tom used to spend a lot of time together, like every day at the club, but then he'd probably be popping into mine for, for a cup of tea every other day after training. Our girlfriends get along brilliantly as well, so we'd be having dinner a couple of times a week at each other's houses and then all of a sudden to go to living two and a half hours apart, both in a different country, it's, it's very strange. But we've seen each other regularly and, and I've got him down helping me move house um, on Wednesday. So I'm going to use him as a bit of a donkey, really, just load him up with <laughs> load him up with the heavy objects. But um, 
no, I, I've I've really missed him, and it, that is probably one of the been the most difficult things to come out of the the wash scenario. But I'm incredibly excited for for what the future holds for him at Saracens. There's a lot of Saris guys that that have been involved in this England setup recently. I know that they they'll be good at push good for pushing him to, to be the best player he can be. It's a, it'll be a good environment for him. Are you still in touch with all the boss players that you played with? You must be delighted as well that they're back in the championship next season. Yeah, no, we all keep in touch. Um, there's obviously some guys you keep in touch with more than, more than others. It's just natural. But yeah, there's so much that's gone on that between us as a group, I think we're always going to be tied by what happened there um, in one way or another. But yeah, to, to get the news that, that, that came out a few weeks ago that, that they're, they've got through the sort of first stage of the process to come back to the championships, great news. Obviously, they're not there yet. But I want nothing more than to see that WASP team put back together and however it reforms... I think we all want to see that badge and, and a group of players running out putting that badge on again because that club will always hold a special place in my heart. And Jack, the um, obviously your, your attention's turned back to Toulouse now. Um, you're top of the uh, the top 14 in France by by some considerable way. You know you've got big European games coming up and obviously domestic games. Is it question of <laughs> the way it works there? I mean, it, it, at Wasps, I guess you know you never took anything for granted, but you kind of knew if you were fit, you would you'd be picked to play. I mean, at Toulouse, it's not quite like that, is it really? Because there's so many, <laughs> so many good players. I'm not suggesting you wouldn't be picked, but is it a horses for courses approach? Do they have or because in the old days, you used to look at the top 14 and they pick one side to play at home and one side to play away. And there was a real distinct difference between the two. But I think with Toulouse, they genuinely don't have that approach. They kind of have a good enough squad. I think they won their last game away from home by putting out a pretty good team. So is it a question of just getting through training each day and seeing a, a, whether, whether you're invited back the next day? <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, hopefully it's not that tight. But I, I think you're spot on with the, the, the quality that we've got throughout the squad. You see how many internationals are going away. Um, and come the World Cup as well, there'll be plenty of players that are missing because they're playing for their country, and and that shows the quality that we've got. You then look at some of the the academy guys that they that they're developing, and and always have done consistently, and and you you realise what a special group it is to be part of. I think the back row, of, unfortunately, Anthony Jalonge has, has injured his knee in the in the Six Nations a few weeks ago, and he's an incredible player that. Yeah, another player that you sort of see him up close and you're playing alongside him. You don't realise quite how much he brings on the pitch. He goes around absolutely melting people. And yeah, here, being alongside and hearing that is uh, you, you're glad that he's wearing the same shirt as you rather than the opposite one. Well, Jack, um, thank you for taking the time to to chat with us. I know you're probably uh, still feeling a bit sore from the match. Good luck. Uh, or should I say bon chance with everything down in Toulouse. We'll certainly be looking out for you and, and hope to see you back in an England jersey later on this summer. Thank you very much, guys. Great to chat to you all. So let's take a look at the other four teams in the Six Nations and where they stand heading into the World Cup this autumn. Uh, Lawrence, uh, France obviously finished in second place after beating Wales uh, 41-28. Do you think they are the favourites to win on home soil? I think France, there was a bit of pressure on them coming into the tournament. They've still only lost one match in 18 months or so, but there was a sense that they weren't necessarily playing great. And then a few doubts on certain players. But I think the performance against England at Twickenham was probably the standout performance of the, of the championship. So they may well have not won the title, but I think they reminded us how good they are and how many world-class players they possess. So, yeah, I mean, I think France potentially are coming to the ball at the right time. I think losing to Ireland is probably no bad thing. Just gave them a little reality check, showed them that they're not necessarily invincible, 
And if that's what happened to England after they lost, then I'd say that they are in very, very good shape. For me, it's so hard to pick between the top four countries. I think Ireland, the number one side, can't remember when the number one team actually went on to win the World Cup. I guess it's happened a few times, but I would I can't really split them in France. And obviously, New Zealand and South Africa, for me, are, uh, are very, very strong as well. Nick Wales showed uh, some massive improvement, particularly in attack, um, in losing and securing a losing bonus point. Uh, could they realistically reach the World Cup semi-final with the way that the draw is actually panning out? Well, I think one thing you have to do is make sure you don't write off Warren Gatland and, and what he can achieve with a group of players with an unbroken uh, run of something like six weeks. He's the master of really turning a team in terms of, sort of conditioning and mindset and those sorts of things. And we've seen him do it before with Wales at the start of a campaign, that, you know, the difference in sort of fitness and conditioning at the start and the end. And, and every time he's taken them to a World Cup, he's really turned them into something very, very dangerous in that unbroken block. So I think he knows how to do that. But obviously, unfortunately, they've got, you know, some of their best players are at the twilight of their careers. And there's potentially maybe just too big a gap between the seniors and, and the juniors, if you like. And so maybe that will be the thing that will hold them back. But you can't write off Warren Gatland. And of course, we were all cheering on Italy to beat Scotland, weren't we? Um, unfortunately, they pushed them right to the end and lost uh, 26-14. But I think there's every reason to say that they're probably the most improved team of the Six Nations, Lawrence, even though they lost every game. Yeah, I mean, I think you felt for them at the weekend because they did everything but win. Uh, and it's such a cruel game, fine margins. I thought they were timing it to perfection by running the clock down and waiting to score till the last minute. But they just made that mistake on the line when they probably should have scored the try and won the game. And credit to Scotland for not only uh, turning the ball over, but actually for going up the other end of the field and getting a bonus point. So, look, Italy, massive improvement. They've got an identity. Long gone are the days where we're uh, making excuses for their performances you know, these were games they were losing by 20, 30, 40, 50 points uh, a couple of years ago. So I think Kieran Crowley's got them really motoring. I think their younger players genuinely believe that they're good enough to compete. And yeah, I think everyone is excited now about the prospects of, of Italy uh, playing international rugby. So uh, credit to them. And for the Scots, uh, Nick, obviously they beat England at Twickenham. So they secured uh, effectively that third place because both teams lost to Ireland and to France. They've got probably the toughest World Cup group possible. Do you think they can get out of that group with Ireland and South Africa? I think the thing is, you don't want to say no, do you? Because it's not, I don't think it's, you know, that just seems so harsh, but that, that draw is ridiculous, isn't it? And we know that South Africa will be what they are, which is a very, very difficult team to beat. However you try to, to beat them, they've got so many good players, so much strength and depth and so much physicality, more physicality than anyone else probably in the world. And Scotland have been moving in the right direction. Their backline is so good. Ben White has been phenomenal for them. You know, the length of, and crispness of his passing has really added to what they've already got with, you know, the stardust that's already there. It's just, um, it, they're at that sort of point of, I think it's maybe that tiny little mental edge of, they create these opportunities, but now they need to finish them off. And if they can do that, then they can be a, a very dangerous side. But that, I mean, the draw is a little short of madness, isn't it? If you're Scotland and you're looking at that, you think that's very, very unfair given. Yeah, you, I mean, you do. Done. You do, but it, but I think people have to remember that all of these games are played on neutral territory. So uh, as much as, um, you know, Scotland fans are probably thinking, oh, you know, it's a bit hard luck that we've got South Africa and, uh, and Ireland. You know, Ireland is the number one side in the world. South Africa is, what, the number three side in the world. They're probably expected to beat Scotland. So I think Scotland can go into that knowing that they are a genuine banana skin for any one of those teams. And they've probably lost to both of those teams in recent years. So they'll have that extra motivation. And uh, 
Trust me, it's not easy being being the favourites for a World Cup. Yeah, so it's been a <laughs> it's been an outstanding Six Nations. I think we'll all agree. There's been a lot of highlights and a lot of fantastic performances. But um, if we're going to pick our players of the tournament, Lawrence, who are you going to go for? I'll leave Nick to pick out the uh, the French maestro and, and and general composer because um, I feel like that's his choice. But um, for me. He didn't have his best game against England, but Caelan Doris, I think, has been the outstanding forward uh, in terms of his consistency. Some of the numbers that he put in, certainly in those first few games, were phenomenal. And I think his ability to hopefully take this Ireland team forward, I think he's going to be a player to watch out for. And he's my player of the tournament. Nick, did Lawrence call that right? Well, yeah, sounds like it, doesn't it? Dupont's been just ridiculously good, you know, 50-22s off his wrong foot, breaking off a, a ruck in his, from himself, you know, and it's... He sort of seems to be able to do anything, really. Obviously, he has a lot around him, which allows him to be able to do that. But when you've got a player in that kind of pomp, you just have to sit back and just savour it for what it is, which is something extremely rare. Steve, who are you going for? Tell me you're going to go for a Scot. I was tempted to go Finn Russell, but I think if you've only played four out of the five games, you've got to go for somebody who's played all five, really, haven't you? I mean, I'm actually going to go for a winger, French winger, top try scorer, played in the same position that I tried very badly to play uh, at college. So I'm going for a glory boy. Sorry, uh, Damien Penneau for me. I think those the tries he scored against England were just something else to behold. And I think every time he gets the ball, he just, uh, he just takes your breath away, doesn't he? So that's who I'm going to go for. This weekend coming... Then we're obviously turning our attention to the start of the Women's Six Nations and looking forward to the Red Roses hosting Scotland in what will be a sold out Kingston Park on Saturday. And then attention turns back to what promises to be a thrilling run into the end of the Premiership season. Uh, Round 21 starts on Friday night with Newcastle against Gloucester. Saturday is Leicester against Bristol. Saracens and Harlequins doing battle at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And then London Irish take on Northampton as well. And the weekend ends with Bath against Exeter. We must give special mention to the Chiefs, who have uh, secured an extra time Premiership Cup win over London Irish on Sunday. So I'm going to the St. Patrick's Day game at London Irish with a group of dads and lads, so can't wait for that one. Nick, are you going to Saracens against Harlequins? Yeah, absolutely. And it would be fascinating, won't it, to see how both teams come back after their break. Obviously, Quins really need to pull themselves back up the table, really. The, you know, that win against Dexter was, was massive, so they'll be hoping that they can continue on that front. And uh, Saracens, you never back against them, do you? Because they just know, know how to put it in. And with all the internationals coming back, it would be a fascinating weekend. And Lawrence, what game are you looking forward to? Funnily enough, I'm at the um, St. Patrick's Day game as well, but equally on Sunday, because I don't just turn up for the once like you guys do. Um, <laughs> this is a proper double shift from Delalio as usual. On Sunday, I'm at uh, Bath against Exeter. And I think, look, we all know at this stage of the season, Saracens, 62 points at the top of the league. Sale, 56 points. You've got to feel that those first two places, I'd be surprised if those two are caught for the home semi-finals. And then you've got an incredible sort of Leicester, Northampton, both locked on 48 points. London Irish, 46, Exeter, 43, Bristol. I mean, who'd have thought Bristol came from nowhere? They were bottom of the league. They're probably the form team of the uh, Premiership at the moment. And then Quinn's unthinkably in eighth place, having been in, in third a few weeks ago. So even as far as Gloucester in ninth, I don't think anyone's out of the playoff contention, but it's all about getting that momentum. So I'm looking forward to all the games. I suppose, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how Bristol, who was 66 to 1 for the title, uh, by the way, only a few weeks ago, you know, the way that they've sort of timing their run because Pat Lamb was in all sorts of trouble, you know, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, couldn't win anything. Um, and suddenly they're the sort of team that no one wants to play against. So 
yeah, looking forward to that. I think Exeter have steadied the ship and I think that they're going to have a big say in things. They'll probably go to Bath and come away with something as well. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how things go. Yeah, Bristol, a bit like one of your cakes, aren't they? Great at the start and brilliant at the end and a bit dodgy in the middle. Is that, is that, is that fair? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's probably a bit fair. Um, although, <laughs> not sure Bristol have won that many trophies for their cakes, to be fair. But, uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. Touche. Well, that's all for this episode. And in fact, for our Sixth Nations special series, I hope you've enjoyed listening. My thanks to all our guests for the past few weeks. Make sure you're subscribed to the pod so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We'll be back very soon. So until then, goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.